We hear a lot of perspectives on the Mankind Podcast. Inclusion of a guest is not an endorsement of their views, and the opinions expressed here do not always represent the mission or values of the Mankind Project USA. Looks like the rain has gone. Hey everybody, it's Boys and Hodgson. Welcome back to the Mankind Podcast, where we are in every episode setting out to prove that there is indeed more than one way to be a man. And I think that we are doing a very fine job of that. Today, I am super excited to introduce uh, somebody who's a new acquaintance of mine, Stefan Cherridge from the UK. And Stefan and I I became a little bit familiar with Stefan's work through one of his books, The the Penny Method. That's not correct. It's something like that. The Penny Model. Thank you. Uh, the Penny Model a couple of years ago. And Stefan is a therapist in the UK, is a counseling supervisor. He's an international trainer and facilitator with over 23 years of experience who's been delivering trainings on some of the things we'll be talking about today, This The Penny Model. Uh, We're going to be talking about emotions. We're going to be talking a little bit about gestalt theory. So, uh, and he is the metaphor man. So Stefan is going to bring a whole bunch of metaphors into our conversation to help us kind of deal with and understand some of these things. So Stefan, welcome. Thank you for being here. Say hello. Oh, thank you for the invitation. My pleasure. (laughs) This is exciting. So Stefan started his training as a gestalt counselor in the late 90s and since has attained his BACP accreditation and supervision qualification, as well as additional skills and training with other creative ways of working. He completed his MKP weekend on a cold November in 2022 Mm -hmm. at Sopley in the UK. In addition to this, he has had extensive training in shadow work. So over the years, he's blended and developed his own style and modality of working, as well as writing a book called The Penny Model, written with young men in mind, and whilst being involved with A Band of Brothers, which is another men's organization in the UK, very good organization, explaining where depression comes from. So that's, we're going to talk about sadness and depression. That's going to be one of the things that we're going to go into today. So the penny model is not an academic book. It focuses on four core emotions of joy, fear, sadness, and anger and their purpose and messages and explains that whilst there is a fifth shame, it can only be experienced while supported by one of the other four core emotions. So that's what we're going. So first of all, I want to just give you a little bit of time to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about your background and Mm, how you got to where you are. Well, thanks for the introduction, because I think it just covers everything. Mm. But um, uh, my my, my trade is actually as a baker. I was a baker for 30 years and um, getting up at three o'clock in the morning and doing all those sort of bits and pieces that bakers do. And uh, had my own business with about 30 people and such like. But I decided that I couldn't do that into my retirement years. So I decided that I need to do to have a career change. And um, back in the late 90s, I was going through a bit of a wobble uh, with my marriage um, and saw a counsellor. And I thought, well, this is interesting. You know, I could actually get into this and started my training. And um, here I am today. So um, quite a shift from uh, being a baker to a psychotherapist and trainer. It's the magic of the right amount of things at the right temperature in the right intensity for the right amount of time. Yeah. As as per uh, magician work, you know, um, within shadow work, we, we, we say that, uh, you know, the masculine energy cooks by recipe, whereas the feminine energy cooks by taste. And indeed, um, a lot of people will bake things per recipe and say well you know it needs to go in the oven after 50 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever but you know a a skilled person will actually feel it touch it actually be more contact with it uh it's more sort of sensual as opposed to a recipe and i feel that i have a good blend of that within my practice and indeed 
whilst doing my training as a gestalt therapist, there are lots of words, what I refer to as psychobabble, yeah, and it became very complicated. It is a very complicated modality. It's, it's a fantastic modality, yes. but the theory of it is complicated. And um, I like to make things as simple as possible. So, um, and indeed, um, tomorrow I have a, a webinar on with some uh, people in Pakistan just on Gestalt theory. And um, the idea is to simplify it. Those that are familiar with Gestalt theory will be aware of the interruptions, which I'll talk about in a moment. But every one of the interruptions within a Gestalt cycle are fear-based. So it's more simple just to say it's fear. Fear that gets in the way of us completing a cycle. Nice. So there we go. Gestalt is a word that gets thrown around in men's work, mm -hmm. I have noticed. Uh, over the years, it's one of those things that uh, someone will say, hey, what is it that you guys do? And, well, it's kind of, you know, a combination of somatic stuff and gestalt and experiential stuff and some Jungian. There, and it's like every single one of those things yep. needs unpacking. But let's start with, yeah, what's gestalt? Well, gestalt it is a German word and it, it's there's no actual direct translation, but it's about completion. And for me, Gestalt therapy is a creative exploration to complete unfinished business. Unfinished business, whatever that might be. And a lot of work that uh, our listeners will have been exposed to is what I refer to as regressional work, going back into some time within our lifeline. And... Um, either expelling what it was that we didn't want or receiving what it is that we did want but didn't get, which ultimately would be like a blessing. Reconnecting with our own significance and, and, and confidence. Um, and indeed, with the four core emotions of being joy, fear, sadness and anger, when I do my um, video presentations, I always offer a four-armed drone to the listeners, to the attendees. Yes. And I say that uh, this drone has four arms, and for this drone to function as we might desire, they need to be in the right, correct position. And the four arms of the drone represent the four core emotions of joy, fear, sadness, and anger. But the majority of people don't have enough joy in their lives, so it's as though that arm is closed in. And when we don't have enough joy in our lives, mm. we actually start using our anger energy and become aggressive. And there is a difference between anger energy and aggression. I can talk about more about that. But we don't use our anger energy yes. constructively. We use it destructively, either towards ourself, which can be as simple as our internal dialogue, or towards others, someone or something real or imaginary which just leaves the fear and the sadness. And the majority of people are diagnosed with anxiety, depression, anxiety, depression, um, and misuse their anger energy and can never really connect with their joy. So it's just a simple pattern as opposed to the complete Gestalt cycle. As I said, there are various interruptions within the Gestalt cycle, um, but they are all fear-based. So give, give give me an example of that if you can, like real or or made up of an yeah. interruption that's fear based. Yeah, well, um, you might have the sensation of uh, needing to go for a pee just as you're before you're about to go in for an interview. So the first interruption or the block would be to desensitize, desensitize from the need to go for a pee. So desensitization is one of the first interruptions. And all of these interruptions to completion um, are, are trauma-based from our formative years. Everyone, everybody is traumatized in varying degrees. Everybody experiences a trauma. And a trauma could be as simple as, no, you can't have another biscuit. I liken all trauma... And 
emotions to sugar. If hmm. I gave you a teaspoon of sugar or 50 tons of sugar, it's still sugar. A little bit or a lot. A little trauma or a big trauma. A lot hmm. of fear or a little bit of fear. But at the base is always fear. You know, For anger, a lot of people might say to me, well, I wasn't angry, I was just niggled. Or I was annoyed. I wasn't angry, I was just frustrated. They are all anger words. Mm-hmm. So to bring about change, we need to, as human beings, name and accept what it is that's true. It's a little bit like an alcoholic. An alcoholic is not going to change until they put their hand up and say, I'm an alcoholic. To accept and acknowledge and make known what is. Otherwise, it just becomes hidden, denied and suppressed. So there are lots of different things that actually, you know, interrupt a gestalt cycle. The majority of gestalt presentations are of a circle. But metaphorically, I'd like everybody to imagine that a gestalt cycle is a wheel. So if you imagine that you had a wheel and that wheel has one complete revolution, that's like a complete gestalt. But our traumas, the traumas that we've experienced historically, are like you know having this wheel on our bicycle going down the road, and there are like stones and bricks and lumps in the way. Mm. And as we hit those stones and bricks, sometimes it's just a bit uncomfortable, but we can continue our journeys. <clears throat> and sometimes the brick is so big that we have to change direction completely. We cannot complete going in the direction that we initially chose. Mm-hmm. So that could be a career path or a relationship or anything that we might want to connect with because we are all relational beings. And connection is about sadness. You know, we experience sadness when we don't feel connected to someone or something that we wish to be connected with. Mm-hmm. Paradoxically, when we authentically connected with others, whatever that might be, that again can evoke tears because we feel connected in the way that we want to. And not a lot of people realise, but love lives with sadness, not with joy. Because We have to slow down. First, I'm going to go back to the piles of sugar. Trauma uh-huh. as... Trauma as sugar. So a little bit of trauma or a lot of trauma. And mm. then this idea of one of the first interruptions might be denial, right? Like, mm. as you said, just no, I'm not really angry. I wasn't feeling angry. It was just a, a mm-hmm. yeah, it's just a little thing. It's just a little frustration, right? So yep. how does denial function? And this might be especially pertinent in men's work, right? Because we're talking. Mm men tend to stuff it and deny and uh, no, I didn't have trauma. It was just a, it was just a little thing. It was just whatever. Yeah. 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 Well, um, that would in gestalt terms that would be referred to as deflection. Yeah. We have an awareness, but we don't want to own the awareness. So we will deflect and try and minimalize or uh, reject whatever is actually true. So if there was some anger or more predominantly, sadness. Because one of the things about anger, I liken anger to being like a car. Hmm. So if you had a car and the car was stationary, it can't really cause any damage. If it's doing 20 miles an hour, it can cause a bit of damage. If it's doing 100 miles an hour, it can do a lot of damage. The difference is speed. What does a car need for speed? Ultimately, fuel. A car needs fuel. Anger needs fuel. No fuel, no motion, Mm. no fuel, no acting out. The fuel of anger is too much fear, too much sadness and jealousy. Jealousy actually lives with joy. Mm. It's the flip side of the coin. Fear Mm. is like rocket fuel. You'll get a lot of speed in a short space of time. So the fear of actually owning one's anger can actually fuel anger. I'm not angry. (laughs) Leave me alone. Yes. Sadness is like petrol. 
And jealousy is a bit like something like paraffin. It works, but not very well. So some people that really kick off and are very, very aggressive can have all three fuels going in. But predominantly, it mm. is fear. So if you have a charge towards someone or something, yeah, the question to ask yourself is, what is the fuel? So for argument's sake, you might get a parking ticket. So the fuel might be the loss of the monies that you've got to pay in relation to the fine. Because we've only got a finite amount of resource. And if you're spending money on parking tickets, then you won't have enough money to spend on, well, a mankind weekend, for example. <laughs> so that's or, a loss. Or a pint. Or a pint, <laughs> yes. whatever the case might be. <laughs> yeah. And, and sadness, sadness is where depression lives. Depression, grief, love, and addictions. Addictions, mm. love, grief, and sadness, um, and depression, live in sadness. And as I mentioned earlier, if we use our anger energy destructively, um, we will feel a sense of uh, anger or frustration, whatever you want to call it. And if we reduce anger to its basic components, all we end up with is yes or no. That is anger, energy, yes or no. Hmm. And, Tell me more about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anger energy is a, is ultimately a choice. Yes, I'm going to go and do some meditation and no, I'm not going to go for a pint. Or yes, I'm going to go for a pint and I'm not going to do the meditations. It's a choice. Now, neither choice is right nor wrong. Um, but ultimately, how often might you say yes to something you want to say no to or vice versa? So if you imagine that one hand is yes and the other hand is no, and you're crossing over your response, it's like moving your hands over and crossing your own boundaries. And every time you cross your own boundaries, it's like earning a penny. And a penny, mm. you might think, well, it's a very small, light, insignificant coin. But the question is, how many pennies might you accumulate in a day or a week or a year? And if you put all of those pennies together, what sort of weight would there be? And if you imagine you were carrying that weight 24-7, what's going to happen to your body? Ultimately, you will become fatigued, suppressed, and eventually depressed. This is where depression comes from. Depression comes from the accumulation of these metaphorical pennies. And these metaphorical pennies manifest by saying no to something you want to say yes to and vice versa. And if we are depressed, we have one of three main options. The first is to go and see the GP and get some medication, which I totally support. But the medication is like borrowing a wheelbarrow to move these pennies about. It does mm. not get rid of them. And if somebody is on medication and collects yet more of these pennies, then they have to go back to the GP, uh, medical profession, and get a bigger wheelbarrow. The other option is to turn to some form of addiction. And the definition of addiction is a repetitive behavior or action. It can be a repetitive thought pattern. We can be addicted to our own internal dialogue. And addiction is a little bit like Popeye eating spinach to gain strength. The more pennies, the more spinach is needed. Mm. And the third option is to put as many pennies as possible into a cannon and shoot that cannon at someone or something real or imaginary. And those people that have eating disorders or self-harm, whatever that might look like, are actually shooting those pennies towards themselves uh, to try and get rid of them. And the ultimate is suicide, which is every penny in a huge cannon and getting rid of all of them in one go. The people that actually, unfortunately, attempt suicide or do succeed with their suicide, it's not because they want to die. People do not want to die. What it is, is that they no longer want to experience the pain 
the physical sensation, the physical emotional pain of carrying the pennies or the physical pain in their bodies from whatever sort of ailment they may be experiencing. It's that they don't want the pain. They want to say no to the pain and yes to being pain-free. That's a yes and no. That's a choice mm. situation. But those that actually self-harm, as in cutting or burning, etc., after or uh, bulimia, anorexia, whatever it might be, the internal dialogue is, why did I do this? I should do this and I shouldn't do that. And the wise and should and shouldn't words are self-beating words. It's almost like beating oneself up, metaphorically. And every time we strike ourselves with each of those words, we put another penny back in the pot. So we just get them cycled, mm. recycled all the time. And this is how some people can't actually move on from that pattern. It's almost an addictive pattern. The only way that we can get rid of this currency is to say yes when we want to say yes and no when we want to say no. It's about that warrior energy of being clear. There's so much richness in everything that you've been saying. And yes and no as the energetic switch Um inside of anger and then how that gets manifested into an increasing burden that we carry over time. The first question that comes up is I know that we certainly see this in the mankind project and I, uh, lots of personal experience here as well. How about childhood traumas where we never, we didn't have a choice. We weren't mm-hmm. given the option of yes or no. It was things that happened to us. Mm-hmm. Well, so how does that fit into this frame? Well, while something negative or harming may have happened to you, experientially you wanted to say no, but couldn't. Yes. So that desire to say no is held at a cellular level in the body. And it's held and it accumulates ultimately. Let's just say that we, an individual had to accept the abuse, whatever that looked like. But as they accepted the abuse or received the abuse because they didn't want it, there's going to be accumulation of no's building up in their psyche. And this is why sometimes, you know, uh, we experience individuals just, just screaming no to get it out of the system, to bring around some form of, of, of rest or completion. And that is like a gestalt cycle. It is actually going back to see what the blocks were and what needs to change so that we can take those blocks out of the road and just continue our journey in the direction that we choose as opposed to having to go down a different avenue because there's a big boulder in the way. That's Go on. That's wonderful. And I'm going to expand the question just slightly. Because for many of us, childhood trauma came at the hands of people who were supposed to be caring for us and loving us. And regardless of whether whether we wanted to say no to the behavior, to what was happening, to the abuse, mm-hmm. there's also a part of us that takes on, uh, you know, there was a part of me that took on, but I love this person. Yeah. This person's my world. This person, you know. Yes. Yeah, so go right. a little bit deeper into that. So we've got the yes or no. Let's change that to right or wrong. Yeah. And when we're small, it's safer to make self wrong than make big wrong. Because we are all relational beings. We all want to relate and have healthy connection. And if we can't have healthy connection, then we'll have unhealthy connection, whatever that might look like. And there is that desire um, to make ourselves wrong. And this, again, actually adds back to the interruptions within the gestalt cell, that sort of stuckness. And ultimately, it evokes a lot of guilt. And guilt lives with fear. 
because we fear others judging us as being yes. weak yes. or X, Y, or Z. Um, guilt and shame, um, they, they, they're, they're, they're like Siamese twins. Yeah, but for shame, we need to actually be told, you know, shame on you. And it's almost as though a burden's been given to us. And, and we have to carry that as a mark of respect and trying to stay connected with the person that gave the message. Does that make sense? Ooh, say, say more about that. Yeah, there's there's kind okay. of a, a Carolyn Meese, I think, maybe, the kind of unspoken vows that we make to those yeah. who hurt us. Yeah, yeah. So let's just say, um, let's just say uh, big, as opposed to mum or dad or uncle or whoever. Big, you know, they've had their traumas and they've been conditioned as to what's okay and what's not okay. So they have their rules and beliefs. And if we have a rule and belief, I'm going to change tack a little bit. Some of listeners will believe that the world's round and some will believe that the world's flat. Now, if you imagine for a moment, I was absolutely able to convince you, take you up in a flying saucer or whatever, and prove to you that your belief was wrong, which emotion mm. would you experience? I would imagine a lot of people, if not everybody, would feel angry. Angry towards the person that taught us what was not true. Angry towards ourselves for believing something that believing. was not true. And even mm -hmm. more angry for promoting something that was not true. So... Mm. A belief is very, very powerful, and we as human beings, human beings, we don't like to be wrong. So we will look for evidence to support our belief system. So going back to big, having a belief that it's a shameful act to, I don't know, take a biscuit from the tin that you're not supposed to take, they will say something like, shame on you. Now, because small wants to stay in relationship with big, they will accept that judgment and they will carry it as though it's a burden into their adulthood. And every time they go and take a biscuit, they will have that sense of shame. So they will be saying yes to the judgment of shame and no to feeling okay. So again, their boundaries are crossed. But that's more of an anger type dynamic with shame 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 is like a, a you know if somebody says i have a sense of shame i'm always interested as to which emotion is supporting it because i liken shame to being like a spinning plate at a circus act the plate okay. cannot spin unless it's supported by a stick shame cannot be experienced unless it's supported by an emotion Hmm. So somebody might smash a window in temper and then slip into their shame because they've acted out. Somebody might scream because they've seen a spider and slip into their shame because they've acted out. Men might let go of some of their tears and then slip into their shame because they've acted out. The message, the interject, the belief is big boys don't cry. And that's why a lot of right. men will desensitize and swallow their tears. Yeah. And for joy, joy is where confidence and self-esteem lives, uh, as well as feeling relaxed, at ease, peaceful and calm. If you feel peaceful and calm, you're in your joy. It's not about having a, a fun time, although everybody wants to have a fun time. It's about being relaxed, peaceful and calm. And as I said earlier, jealousy is the flip side of, of, of the coin for joy. So if somebody's confidence is very low, um, you'll see this where people buy raffle tickets to win the big cuddly toy. And mm. when their number's called out, get excited and then turn around and say, oh, I can't go up, you go up for me. Because there's a fear of how others might judge them and they would have a sense of shame because there could be some jealousy from others attending that you won and they didn't win. So to avoid that, it's actually um, you know, a deflection which is another part of the Gestalt cycle. And also there's a part of projection. They're projecting some of their past onto the audience uh, and um, fearing 
uh, with their projection that others are going to judge them. Judgments live with fear. Ooh, okay. So it's, it just keeps getting rich. It just keeps adding to the riches here. Um, I want to go back to the bicycle. One of the things that you were saying as, you know, being on the road and the things that interrupt us, the interruptions mm-hmm. that happen. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I'm imagining as a cyclist with uh, a brick in the road is that the brick is also going to have a physical impact on the bike that I'm riding, right? So then my tire is going to end up, my wheel is going to end up with a dent so yeah. that now every every rotation. Yes, exactly. Every, yeah. <clears throat> so some people with gestalt cycles, they, they, they look at it as a, a, a wave, yeah? That a wave builds up and it crashes over and it's complete, so that's a cycle. <clears throat> I look at it as a body of water because in a body of water there are multiple waves some are going to be very long and some are going to be very short and mm-hmm. as we go through life there are millions of waves that we experience yeah. and damage to the bike <clears throat> is a great analogy because um, every cell in our body every cell in our body is pretty much every cell is replaced every 30 days and if you imagine that each cell is like a ping pong ball, I'm sure you'll remember when you, you know, uh, college or whatever, playing ping pong, every now and again, the, the ping pong ball would be dented. Yes. So when we experience a trauma, it's almost as though a ping pong ball has been dented. Hmm. And when that cell is replaced and we get older every 30 days, the cell is replaced like for like. So if it's damaged, and replaced, it's replaced damaged. There are several books on this, but, um, you know, as I say, I think it's very complicated. Uh, yes. About the different chemicals and everything else. But ultimately, if you imagine that we're just a, a multitude of, I think it's 33 trillion or 30 trillion cells. Now, so doing therapy, doing a men's weekend, doing meditation, yoga, whatever, that is metaphorically massaging the ping pong ball. And if you Mm. massage a ping pong ball, you can actually massage the dent out. So it's round and complete again. So the more we do for ourselves as in personal work, whatever that might look like, and it might be a walk in the forest, it doesn't have to be anything in particular. It's actually repairing some of those damaged cells, those traumas. But even if we make the ping pong ball or the cells round, you will always see a little bit of a scar on it. Mm-hmm. And that part of the ping pong ball will be more susceptible to being dented again. So that's like the old trauma. And this is why we can be re-traumatized, re-triggered very, very easily because the field conditions are similar. And that relates to projection and judgments. Everybody fears being judged. And if we fear being judged, the first thing to do is to bring to mind a judge saying, you are guilty of. And remember we Hmm. said at the beginning about alcoholics having to name and own, I'm an alcoholic. We need to actually name the judgment. Once the judgment is named, we can interact with it. If we just say, oh, I feel guilt and I feel it in my body, we can relate to that. But we need to have the judgment and the judge. If we have the judge and the judgment, we can interact with it. 90% of the work is anger work to destroy the judgment and the judge, metaphorically. And about 10% of it Mm -hmm. is actually sadness and grief work to actually explore, you know, what was missing in Small's life, as opposed to what Small got, you know. So that's yeses and noes. Yes, he yes got the news or the judgments, and no, he didn't get the hugs and acceptance. So, but predominantly, uh, you know, eighty, ninety percent of this anger work, um, but some of it flips to grief work as well, and lover energy. 
I just reflect back that when uh, when you said that 90% of it is anger work and dealing with the judge and the judgment, mm-hmm. there was some part, there was some reaction in me that was like, oh no, but I don't want to be angry like that. But then I'm going to reframe. It's like, it's just anger work is about yeses and no's. Exactly. So, that. It yeah. So it's have to be aggressive. So, <clears throat> doesn't have to be aggressive. So draw those things apart a little bit. Talk about aggression. Well, aggression, aggression, I liken it to gunpowder. Yeah. Um, So we can become explosive. And a lot of anger management programs, well, uh, I liken it to everybody's got like a powder keg in their psyche. Hmm. And every time we get a no, when we want a yes or vice versa, we get a yes to a smack and and a no to the hug. Yeah, it's like gunpowder being put into the powder keg. And when we're small, you know, the terrible twos, (laughs) for example, uh, um, that powder keg is exposed and we can become very sort of angry. But whilst we get angry at twos and three-year-olds, there are always uh, repercussions, especially for the females. So there are consequences of being angry, and that anger is squashed. So whilst that anger is squashed, we are conditioned to put a lid on the gunpowder keg. But as soon as we put a lid on it to stop the spark getting in and there being a big explosion another powder keg manifests and so it builds up so this is a little bit like the aggressive anger building up as a metaphorical weight as well as the depressive pennies building up as a metaphorical weight so you could have both weights building up so the beautiful thing with regards to the mkp weekends is it gives people an opportunity to burn off some of this gunpowder, but in a safe environment, mm-hmm. because the 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 consequences are minimalised or or um, just you know got away with really, and the the work <clears throat> is to and 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 I, I can offer a little uh, experiment here and now, um, mm. yeah, so. My invitation is for everybody to bring to mind something that you've got some anger towards, <clears throat> whether it's the government, next door neighbour, COVID. Excuse me. <clears throat> so close your eyes and breathe into your body and just allow yourself to acknowledge the anger, whether it's big or small, but just acknowledge the anger. Breathe into your body, acknowledge where it lives in your body. And give it a bit of a shape and size. Give it a texture. And as you breathe into your body, give it a colour. And as you breathe into your body, really acknowledging this anger in your body, give it a score. Anything from 1 to 10, 10 being maximum. Give it a score. And now, in your mind's eye, what I'd like you to do is to imagine that you could take a balloon. Take a balloon of the colour that represents your anger. In your mind's eye, take a balloon, take a couple of nice deep breaths. And in a moment, my invitation is gonna be for you to blow that balloon up as hard and as fast as you possibly can. So do that now. Take a deep breath and blow it up. Yeah, and once this balloon is tied, blown up, tie it off and then ask yourself, what do you wanna have happen to this balloon? What do you want to have happen to it? And what might you want to say to this balloon? What might you want to say to the anger? What might your anger want to have happen? And my invitation is for you to give yourself permission to take whatever action you want towards this balloon. You might want to pop it. And if you do want to pop it, how? Do you want to stamp on it? Do you want to squeeze it? Do you want to bite it? Do you want to let it down? Do you want it to float away? So my invitation is for you to give yourself permission to speak whatever needs to be spoken and then take whatever action and in your mind's eye just imagine that it's happening. So do that now. And with it done, take your attention and your breath back into your body to where that anger was and give it a score now. 
what score might you give it? So that's just a basic process because our bodies cannot tell the difference between reality and fantasy. Can't. If we imagine it, if we visualize it, if we allow our bodies to connect with, can't tell the difference. And I would imagine that the listeners, yeah, that the majority, if not everybody, your anger will have gone down. I don't know by how much, it might have gone down by one. I've done this on webinars and some people say it's gone down by eight or seven. And the more energy uh, that is put into the breathing, the more it can take place. And there are other tools and resources that can be used to actually burn off some of this explosive gunpowder in a safe way without any true life consequences. So that ultimately I can get to a place of stasis where my yeses and nos are coming from clear and conscious actions, choices, yeah, rather than driven by uh, old bumps in my rims and imaginations about bricks in the road and yep. the number of pennies that are in my wheelbarrow. Exactly that. And a healthy yes or no is only healthy in the moment. For example, mm. you know, people can actually earn a penny by saying yes to a cup of tea when somebody offers them a cup of tea, but inside they'd rather have a cup of coffee. But not wanting to reject the person's offer or have the person judge them as being awkward, fussy or a bit of a nuisance. To avoid all those possibilities of being judged, it's easier to say yes to the tea. But that's an unhealthy yes and that's another penny. The work is to say a healthy no to the tea and a healthy yes to the coffee, which would probably sound more like, you know, I'd rather have a coffee or is coffee available? And then for the person that's offering, for them to say their yes or no. And you might get a no because, or no, there is no coffee. And if there is no coffee, well, then you can say a healthy yes to the tea. Because you haven't denied mm. yourself what it is that you wanted in the first place. And coming back to the bicycle analogy, it's taken the route that you wanted to take initially without having to do all the di 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 deviations or diversions <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to avoid yeah. the bumps and lumps. So, you know, in the morning you might want a coffee, in the afternoon you might want a squash, in the evening you might want a tea. It's only healthy in the moment. It occurs to me that one of the, we are relational beings, as you said very early on, and it occurs to me that one of the pieces in here about establishing healthy relationships and kind of growing ourselves out of these patterns is like the coffee and tea analogy that you just used. That's really beautiful. If both of us in the exchange have an understanding of a shared reality in which it's healthy. Yeah. No, no, thank you to the tea. Do you have coffee available? No, I don't have coffee available. I only have tea. Okay, very good. Then I'll take tea. Or no, thank you. I'm good. Yeah. And if both of us are understanding without a, a heightened sense of sensitivity mm -hmm. about it, or mm -hmm. when someone says no to me, I feel bad immediately, or yeah. like all of these kind of things, right? It's a relational skill. Yeah. And indeed, within relationships, we, we all want to make meaning and understanding. And this goes back to small being traumatized by big. Yeah. And when small is traumatized by big, which can, you know, quite often I refer to small wanting a hug. Yeah. And big's not available uh, because big might be under the influence mm -hmm. of something. Big may have died. Big may have left the family unit. Big may be at work. Um, uh, small might be sent off to boarding school, which is classed as a right. as a benefit. Yeah, but the majority of people that have went to boarding school um, are actually really traumatized, really traumatized yeah. because they don't want a hug from the nurse or whoever. They want a hug from mum or dad, irrespective of whether or not they've ever met mum or dad. Right. And indeed. If you imagine that mum or dad has died uh, when the person's born and they find out that they've died, as soon as they find out that they've died, 
because we want to make meaning and understanding, we will search for well, what was wrong with me. Why did they leave me? Why was I abandoned? There's all these whys. And as I said earlier on, the why word is an aggressive word. Every time you ask somebody the why word or yourself the why word, the subliminal message is you're wrong. It's a little bit like asking somebody, why did you close that door? It implies they had a choice to leave the door open or to close it. And they made the wrong choice, else the question wouldn't be asked. So why am I feeling like this? You're actually beating yourself up by asking why you're feeling like it. And that's going to... So what's the, alter what's the alternative in there? Because that's this is something that in the Mankind Project and in our men's groups, this is one of our very early, we're going to teach you how to facilitate, stop asking why. Yeah, never ask why. Because you'll immediately throw... Throw yep. a man back into his shame, yep. into his guilt, yep. into his head, into yep. his questions, like exactly. all that. Yeah. Because What's the alternative? Just, yeah. Um, is So you did this because you leave it open. So the because word, um, when, where, how, and what. So when did mm -hmm. this happen? How did it happen? What did you want? Whilst you got X. What is it you wanted? I wanted why. So it's inviting the person to speak their truth and share more of their intimacy. And the word intimacy broken down is into me see. And there's a vulnerability because, you know, there's a part of me, well, if I was to really expose all of my shit and my belief systems, I would be rejected. Mm -hmm. The ultimate fear is rejection. Whereas because we're relational beings to be ostracized and rejected. So yes. to avoid rejection and we need to be judged to be rejected, judged as guilty. Yeah. Uh, to avoid that, we don't, we, we uh, are more closed down and it becomes more hidden, suppressed and depressed. Right. How do we move from, so let's, we're, we're, we're very down. We've got a broken down bicycle. We're, we're dragging two. Yeah. I've got a wheelbarrow in front of me and I'm dragging a red wagon full of pennies and, yep. and I'm still in pain. So this is something that I see out there a lot in the kind of men's group forums and online yep. forums that are anonymous and yeah men just hurting just suffering so what yeah. are some things what do i do now i'm yeah. suffering yeah well the first thing is to name it to name and own i'm in pain i'm suffering we don't need to know what the cause is what the history is and indeed when um you know with trauma um we're all traumatized as i said and and you know just just imagine that somebody is is raped you know, which would be a massive trauma. Uh, when I work with people with such traumas, I never ask them about what's happened. Yes. Never. Yes. I only ever, and I focus on, so whilst this has happened, how might you be judging yourself? The judgment is like glue to trauma. Hmm. Might be judging yourself as stupid or, um, you know, weak, yeah, pathetic, that all those judgments, we need to actually get the solvent for the judgment because the judgment mm. are like glue to the trauma. People can't move on from trauma um, if they're still judging themselves. We need to actually engage with the judgment. And indeed, you know, people in grief, um, grief living with sadness, grief and anger are like, like a seesaw. Mm. And if somebody's grief is up, then we need to explore how they're using their anger energy and to engage with their anger. Now, a lot of people get stuck with this um, in the sense of, well, how can I be angry with my mum? Because I love my mum. But there will always be anger there. Anger that you didn't spend enough time with mum. Anger because you didn't tell mum that you loved her enough. Anger because mum smoked and she died of cancer. Anger towards mm. COVID. Mm. Anger towards the medical... I don't know what the anger is going to be towards, but that anger needs to be named and owned and worked with. 
And the flip side is if somebody's really, really angry, and this will have been illustrated in the film The Work, um, yes. their anger's right up, and their sadness is right down on the seesaw. So right. it's actually, you know, most very angry, aggressive people are in their grief, but they don't know it. And they can't accept it. And they can't name it. Because if they, let's just say, belong to a gang, and they said, look, I really miss my dad, and I never yeah. had any hugs from him, what would happen? They would no longer, they would be rejected. So to avoid the rejection from the gang, they maintain, you know, the stance of being the rebellious teenager or whoever or whatever, the aggressive person. So if somebody's very aggressive, it's explore their sadness. If somebody's very sad, it's explore their anger. Um, fear and joy also live on a seesaw. Mm. Um, and if somebody's fear is right up, their joy is right down. But it's very, very difficult to push joy up. You can't do it. It can't be done. We need to bring fear down. And by oh. bringing fear down, people are more able to use that anger energy constructively instead of destructively. If fear comes down, they're able to say more yeses and noes. And if mm -hmm. they're able to say more healthy yeses and noes, then they will connect more to what they want to connect with, which is their sadness. Yeah. And sadness is where love lives. So by using overcoming the fear, using our anger energy constructively, we can feel connected to whatever it is, even if it's to polar bears. <laughs> you know, if that's what somebody really wants to do, it's about yes, going off to wherever polar bears live to connect with them and then you feel connected and then joy is secondary to sadness and then you can have joy because you feel connected to what it is that you want to connect with and that's a little bit like a gestalt cycle going from joy to fear to anger to sadness back to joy it's far simpler than desensitization projection introjections deflections egotism and all the rest of it that goes with it Beautiful. How do you define love? <clears throat> That's a really good question. Really good question. I think, I think the definition of love is whatever actually fuels a sense of contentment and relaxation. It's actually something that comes before. So that could be the love of the sunshine sitting in the garden or the love of a person sat with them you know, watching a film or, I don't know, playing cards, whatever it might be, having a walk in the park with them. It's actually whatever we're doing, whatever we're connecting with, manifests and evokes a sense of relaxation, peacefulness and calmness. Which you define kind of in the joy spectrum, that, that joy, joy is spectrum. that yeah. sense. Yeah. And then... And this is helping me a lot. So, and then you said on the other side, the flip side of the coin from joy is jealousy. Jealousy. Yeah. So, and a shat. So, in the shadow work realm, right? So, the shadow aspect of love or the shadow aspect of joy is that jealousy. Jealousy, yeah. And so, I can fool myself into thinking that my jealousy is love. Uh, on some level, it's like the unhealthy attachment kind of. Uh, uh, well, Covet, covetousness you, you, rather you, than yeah you could you could actually say that jealousy is is a motivator yeah but it's almost like a, an imposter um i, I used to mm, pass yes. it as as ducks you know <laughs> you know when you see a duck on the water you think oh it looks very pleasant and calm etc but underneath his his feet are going ten to the dozen yeah, you can't actually see what's going on underneath. And jealousy, it's there's, there's no flow to it. There's no flow to it. You could argue that mm. it's a motivator, i.e., um, you know, next door neighbor's got a, 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 a super duper car, and it's like, well, I want that car as well, so I have to go out and get work and so on and so forth. But if it doesn't come easy, if we, you know, if it doesn't come easy, it's like trying to force love. You know, it can't happen. It's almost like a full. Wonderful. Story. Wonderful. Last two questions, um, and re they're related. So 
out there in the world, I want to end on hope. I want to end in hope. Mm. What's something that you see being embodied by men out there that you really love and want to see more of? Mobilizing to a realistic and achievable stretch. I mean, uh-huh. we are we are actually, I mean, this, you know, it's a bit of a stretch for me. Um, but it's, it's taking the risk, you know, it's feeling the fear and doing it anyway. And we are, uh, as men, we are risk takers, risking sharing our intimacy, risking sharing our vulnerability. And only when people actually share their intimacy, as I said, into me, see, my authentic emotions, my authentic cup of tea or coffee. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking one's truth and uh, using one's anger energy constructively. Um, I think that this sort of work and um, doing the stretch um, is, 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 is what I like and what well, I love really, seeing men do it. And I've experienced it and I've experienced being held whilst doing it. And up until yes. my MKP, I'd never experienced it. I was hugely fear-based of all men, hugely. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, And how about what is something that you see being embodied out there in the culture by women that you love and want to see more of? Mm -hmm. Well, the nurturing. Um, uh, Women I experience as nurturers. And paradoxically, the more vulnerability that is shared within the female community or with women, um, more connection there is because women just want to nurture. Men want to expand and be bigger, etc. And and women, the feminine energy, want to nurture and look after and nourish. And um, I don't know whether or not uh, it, it exists or whether it's a different name, um, but uh, you know I've, I've attended uh, my nobleman one. I don't know if mm. you're familiar with that celebration I'm of not. being. It's called celebration of being, uh, and that that was just an amazing weekend. It really was an amazing weekend. So men attended as a, initiates, women staffed just women mm. staffed in processes. Uh, there were some men there to hold a container, but, um, oh, life-changing, life-changing. And that comes from the nurturing energy of the feminine. Thank you. Thank you. Stefan Cherage, uh, thank you for being here. How can folks uh, get in touch with you and learn more about your work? Uh, well, anybody can email me, and that's charidge, C-H-A-R-I-D-G-E at gmail.com. And um, if people are interested in, in having or attending a, a webinar specifically focused on one topic or another, so there's like two hours just on guilt and shame and um, processes and the majority of my webinars are not recorded because there's always Mm. an invitation for somebody to do a piece of work Um, Mm. and sometimes one person will volunteer or another or sometimes nobody volunteers and I talk everybody through a little little bit like the balloon exercise a process but obviously you you make notes for yourself as you go through a lot of work can take place on a personal basis and also um, to add to your toolkit to facilitate others. Wonderful. So uh, look in the show notes for links to uh, Stefan's website, and I'll throw his email address in there so that you can get in touch. Stefan, this has been enlightening and uh, a comfort, I think. Right. In my body, that's how I'm experiencing this mm-hmm. conversation mm-hmm. as, mm-hmm. yeah as comforting so thank you for that oh thank you for the invite and um i know i speed up but that's my fear that's my anxiety coming in um you know because i'm i'm worried about how i might be judged let's own it (laughs) as 
as uh, as not getting it all across. So I, I speed up, yeah. try and squeeze as much as possible in. Um, and my learning curve, my my stretch for myself is to slow down. Thank you. May it be so for you and for all of us who throw ourselves into that fear and anxiety part of our beings. <laughs> Yay. Thank you. No worries. Okay. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. This has been the Mankind <laughs> Podcast produced in association with the Mankind Project USA. And I personally want to thank our guests for joining us today and imparting their wisdom from their experiences in this amazing journey called life. Now, the fee for this episode is simple. If you found gold and insights that you believe could benefit your loved ones and those you care about, be sure to share it with them. And of course, remember that life doesn't happen to us. It happens for us. So long as we rip the pen out of fate's hand and become the author of our own story. So my friend, pick up the pen and we'll see you next week. Lots of love.